and welcome to the Common Good Podcast, the podcast that showcases the very best of Glasgow Caledonian University and how the institution, its staff and its research benefits people and communities both at home and overseas. My name is Craig Telfer and today I am joined by Dr. Patrick Ring from the Department of Finance, Accounting and Risk to talk about risk management in the context of the government's response to the coronavirus pandemic. Patrick, it's brilliant to see you. Thanks very much for joining me on the show today. No, no problem, Craig. Glad to be here. How have you been finding the last few months working from home? It started off fine and then uh, trying to kind of maintain the structure of yeah. our working day is a little bit difficult. and. Uh, and again, I think, you know, when you create relationships with colleagues every day at work, it just makes it that more difficult when you're not there every day. The longer it goes, it's yes. difficult to keep those relationships maintained. So I think that's been the main the main thing for me. But other than that, just glued to the computer, as you'd expect. Patrick, I'm going to start with a, quite a big question, quite an obvious question, but what do we mean by the term risk management? What is it? Yeah, well, that, that's the thing that students ask me a lot of the time <laughs> Craig, I mean, basically, if you think there's risks in whatever we do, any aspect of life. So risk management really gives you a a discipline, a a means of uh, teasing that out and and dealing with those risks. So, you know, you start off identifying if you're a business and you want to do something, identify what the risks are of doing something, then think, well, can I avoid those risks? If I can, then you assess what the risks are and how you might try and reduce or mitigate them. If you can't reduce and mitigate them, then you may just have to accept them. So then you do that, you put procedures in place to try and cope with them, and then you monitor it from there. If things don't go quite well in terms of managing things and there's problems that arise, you learn from that. You rejig your risk assessment processes. So it's about planning and preparing. It's about responding to the risks as they arise, and it's about learning from it. So it's a continual cycle in terms of that, that risk management. So you came to the university to study risk management. What sort of industries would you be going into when you graduate? Everything, Craig. Everything from private sector to local authorities, health. An obvious example in the last couple of days, we've got graduates who are working with uh, RailTrack. Oh, uh, right. Okay. Uh, yeah, you know, so we've seen that up at uh, Stonehaven. Yeah. Uh, so you've got that. You've got uh, people who go and work in financial services kind of managing the, the risks in relation to that. So it's a, it's a discipline and, and it's becoming increasingly recognised as a profession in itself. And I think most large businesses you'll find will have a risk manager or indeed a risk management department. And that's what it's all about, identifying the risks, managing those and helping clear it up if something happens that was unexpected. It leads me perfectly on to my next question. We know what risk management is now. How do we apply risk management to the recent coronavirus pandemic? Well, I think I think it's very much the way I outlined. I mean, obviously, we realised there was a potential risk of a pandemic. So, from a risk management perspective, governments and international bodies are looking at and assessing that risk, planning for it. How can we avoid it? Mm-hmm. How do we manage it when we when it arises? How do we reduce and minimise the effects of it? And how do we learn? From it in relation to that, and there've been examples of, in the past, you know, SARS and all the rest of it, and and this is, you know, something different, but nevertheless, it's it's that same sort of thing. So we'd apply that. You apply that cycle exactly the same way that you 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 would in any other uh, risk management situation. Now, you and some colleagues had written an article for the Journal of Risk Research about this subject. Can you tell me about that? 
Yeah, so we, I mean, basically what we wanted to do is look at the initial response to the coronavirus in the UK and look at how resilient the, the UK was in uh, managing uh, that coronavirus. I've read the article, Patrick, the, the word resilience came up a lot in relation to how nations and governments deal with the COVID-19 pandemic. And in your article, you broke down the government's response into three different headings. That was anticipation, response and readjustment. Can you explain those in more detail, please? Yeah, so anticipation is basically planning in advance are you ready for this that something happens? Quite often there's a, a term that's often used as like business continuity. Yeah. Like if something happens, how do you make sure that things can go on? So you plan in advance in relation to that. The second thing after anticipation is, is response. So uh, inevitably, no matter how much planning you do, you won't have thought of everything. And there'll be unexpected things that, 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 that arise. So it's about reacting there. How do you react? To these respond to these things in order to cope with them as they as they happen you know because as i say it won't necessarily uh, pan out exactly the way you thought it mm -hmm. might and then thirdly there's a kind of a, a readjustment okay at the end of all this and a bit there's kind of two ways we could, you'd normally think about re readjustment so you get to you've experienced this shock this change mm -hmm. and you say okay now we know what to do in that situation. Let's store that uh, knowledge aside and get back to what we were doing before. So in the kind of pandemic thing, it might be, well, right, we've got a vaccine, we're all sorted, let's get back to what we were doing. So that's one way to think about kind of readjustment. The other way to think about it, and perhaps the more sophisticated way, is, is, is to say, well, actually, this experience tells us we can't really go back to what we were doing before. Mm -hmm. you know, if we want to avoid things like this in the future, things have to change. We have to restructure. We have to think differently about what we do. So, uh, you know, I suppose the phrase that people talk about is the new normal. Yeah. Right. So in terms of like the readjustment, the readjustment at the end of all this, do we really just go back to what we're doing before? Or do we have to think about what we do as individuals, as a, as a society, as a nation, and indeed internationally, do we have to think about what we do. So in terms of kind of resilience, anticipation, response, readjustment, those are the kind of three elements of it that, that, that you would be thinking about. It's fair to say that some governments have performed better than others in dealing with the coronavirus pandemic. Countries like South Korea and Germany, they record, haven't recorded that many deaths, whereas the UK and the United States, they've performed really poorly in terms of, of their responses. Can you talk about some of the, the way the different governments have performed? Yeah, well, we, uh, in, our, in our paper, looked at the, at the UK in particular. And if I can kind of start, start there and, and, and look at those three, three yeah. aspects you're talking about. I mean, the readjustment, I don't think we're anywhere near that yet. That's, I it's think, a long way down the line. There's, there's, there's way ahead. In terms of anticipation, I, I think there's a, a, there's a bit of, of a, an irony here because in anticipation, the UK is actually pretty good in terms of anticipation in one sense, because I mean, the UK, we have a national risk register, right? The top risks to, to the government or to the, to the nation. And, and the pandemic is, was at or near the top of that list and it has been for years. I mean, it, it's higher up the list than, than terrorist threat. Really? Yeah. Well, and, and I mean, it's not as if we haven't been planning for this Scottish government, UK, 
UK government, you know, have, have had plans in place in relation in, in relation to this since well, you know, the the, the plans that were looked at were from twenty eleven through twenty fourteen. I think there was a lot of stuff made uh, around the, the, the initial uh, time around this is, is something called Exercise Cygnus that had been done a few years ago. It was a it was a kind of uh, a, a three day exercise in how you deal with the kind of flu okay. pandemic and. There were some lessons learned in relation to that in terms of the kind of planning. So you know, a lot of good stuff in the plan, a lot of the stuff you'd expect in the plans, but there were problems or issues around about that. You know, the issue around care homes was identified of course. Uh, in that in that operation in, in relation to that. You know, the plans envisaged the requirement for diagnostic tests and stuff like that, right? So we knew there was stuff that we needed to kind of deal with in terms of those plans, but but I think we kind of dropped the ball in the last, you know, despite having those plans in terms of making sure we could implement them fully and iron out the issues that arose with, with Operation Cygnus. I think that was a, a, a problem in relation to that. I think one of the things that some people have, have, have pointed to and it's all very well to be uh, to have 2020 hindsight, but you know, Theresa May's government suspended the Pandemic Preparedness Committee so we could focus on Brexit, and then Boris Johnson, uh, when he when he got into power, scrapped that Pandemic Committee uh, about six months before before that. And you know, there's been a lot of uh, criticism of things like PPE ventilators and so on. I mean, there was, a, a, there was some work done by uh, Channel 4 News that, that found an internal memo that said that, you know, a large amount, about 80% of respirators, over half of the stockpile of surgical masks, 45% of PPE had all expired yeah. in terms of the stockpile. And then you saw the kind of issues we had trying to get hold of, of this, uh, of, of supplies once the kind of pandemic kicked in. So, you know, there are clearly criticisms you can make of the government in terms of anticipation. But, you know, if you were looking at the other side of this, you know, you have, in that situation, you're telling the government stuff that they don't want to hear. You're asking them to spend money that they don't have in relation to something that they don't think <laughs> will happen, right? So as a government, you, you know, I mean, yes, I think there are valid criticisms, but, you know, I think you kind of like we, we can kind of maybe kind of uh, contextualise that slightly. After, after this kind of thing, though, Patrick, that's unlikely to happen again. The, the government surely couldn't perhaps put their planning and their funding to another pandemic to one side after how how horrifying and how terrible the, this coronavirus pandemic has been. Well, but this is the kind of readjustment thing, right. isn't it? At the end of the day, how do you kind of readjust? Well, There's that in terms of that kind of supply chain issue there's a with, with the risk managers there was some stuff I, I put out some stuff on social media and and there was a bit of, of banter around two things is it just in time or just in case you know just in time means you don't hold anything you don't keep stockpiles and stuff because that's inefficient mm -hmm. right so profit blah the rest of it government spending money with those other priorities or do you spend that money and keep that stuff just in case and that's the kind of I mean, I was saying banter. That's a difficult concept to think about in terms of risk management, right? But, but nevertheless, that was the conversation that was going on, and it's that kind of you know, will there be a readjustment in, in the future in relation to that? But that was an, an anticipation thing. I think the other thing that's really interesting is the response mm -hmm. element to it. 
so we had Wuhan sorry, at the, the, the beginning of the year. And, and it's not like, in terms of response, it's not like some countries had information any more quickly than anyone else. It's, it's more about kind of like there are weak signals or there are signals coming out of China, right? And it's how we interpret those signals, you, you know, how we caught on to them. And I think there are, you, you, talk, you mentioned South Korea and, and so on, you know, and uh, uh, Germany as well. I think it's about how quickly they cottoned on to what that, those messages coming out of China actually meant. You know, even even Italy, you had all that stuff happening in Italy, and there's, you know, and and if you look at some of the the the, the uh, reportage that's going on in relation to that, you see people in Italy say, "Why on earth weren't other countries doing more when they saw what was happening to us? Did they not kind of think about that?" You know, and again, you might criticise the government here. You know, you had uh, you know football matches, horse racing going on. You had. Uh, uh, even Boris Johnson at the beginning of March, and remember Wuhan, beginning of January, beginning of March, Boris Johnson is telling the press how he's been in hospital and he's been happily shaking hand with COVID yeah, patients, remember that. right? Remember that. So it's kind of like what is how do you pick up on those messages and how quickly do you respond? You know the argument of how you know if there's a criticism about it's not getting in down. So it's kind of locked down quickly enough. It's how can it quickly respond? So that initial response thing there. And then I think maybe the, 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 the other thing that, that, that's brought up a kind of lot of interest is kind of like what's been done since then. You know, you've had furlough schemes and something, you know, some really uh, good things put, it, put in place in relation to that, but you get track and trace, it's testing is still an issue in relation to all of this so in terms of kind of moving that response along and again the kind of the messaging and really there's been a big contrast between the messaging in scotland compared to you know, england and wales and boris johnson mm -hmm. I, th I think that the, the i think the dominic cummings uh, issue has been a real uh, black spot for for the uk government in terms of undermining their message in terms of what they're asking the, the government to do. In fact, I, I saw something that said that uh, there were a lot of people that were surprised that Dominic Cummings had kept his job, especially since in Tory governments, you'd normally get fired immediately if they found out you went to Durham. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but that's, uh, maybe that's, a, that's a, an, acad an academic joke there, but there you go. But that's the, uh, uh, I think that the coming things has been a real, uh, a, a real uh, uh, black spot in terms of the response. It's too early to look at the readjustment phase, Patrick, but is there any lessons that we can learn from this going forward? People talk about there having been a, a, a global pandemic. And I think one of the kind of key things for me is that there needs to be much better global co coordination by governments, because no matter what an individual government does, in relation to this, all it takes is someone to come in from somewhere else, uh, or even you know, in New Zealand now that they're, they're thinking that maybe the latest outbreak may be about something that's uh, been export uh, imported into New Zealand and had uh, coronavirus on that. So things like the World Health Organization and political leaders actually working together rather than trying to find their own individual solutions in relation to that. I think the scientific community has been really good, but I think politicians need to, to, to get on board in relation to that. And I think that's, that's certainly one, things we can, one of the things we can learn.
The three headings that we spoke about earlier, anticipation, response, and readjustment, can those three headings be applied to businesses as well? Yeah, well, as I, I said, uh, Craig, right at the start, I mean, risk management's a key part of any business. And, and I mean, in, in terms of the risk management we, degree we do here at GCU, that prepares our graduates to go out and work for companies and other organisations to do just that. You make them uh, resilient. And uh, in in our, in the, the paper that we wrote on, on COVID, I think we gave you the example of uh, a supermarket in Texas. Yeah. They'd actually been developing their response and their emergency preparedness over the last decade or so based on the H1N1 swine flu virus in, in 2009. So as early as the second week in January, they are already looking at their supply chain and looking at what they might have to do in the event of a, a pandemic. I mean, going back to the, think about the kind of UK, a lot of the larger organisations, because of Brexit, they'd already been looking at their supply chains and what might happen to them in, in, in relation to Brexit. So they had a little bit of a, a jump start there. But I mean, on the, on the whole, I think we've seen some fantastic examples of, of businesses pivoting to adapt to the crisis. Obviously, you've seen kind of supermarkets and tech companies, restaurants becoming takeaways, uh, organisations reconfiguring themselves to meet uh, the pandemic. You know, it shows you that the, 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 the response element of it uh, there. Uh, even where it's been difficult for them to, to anticipate, you can you can see that and how they've tried to cope with, with with those risks. We've spoken about governments, we've spoken about businesses, but can your analysis be applied to individuals? Yeah, I suppose. Uh, well, the, the other area I have an interest in is financial services, Craig, and uh, I think one of the things that maybe COVID has led us to think about, lots of people to think about, is a financial. Resilience. I mean, even even before COVID, there was a lot of research that uh, indicated that that people weren't as perhaps as financially resilient as, as they could be. And when I talk about kind of financial resilience for individuals, there's probably kind of there's lots of lessons. But there's kind of three things that are often talked about, right? And uh, and don't get too panicked if any of these apply to you. Craig, right? <laughs> okay. So about having an emergency fund of at least three months expenses right so you can imagine you know, so think about it in terms of current you know, people say if something happens unexpected you lose your job or something like that you know, you, you you're injured and you're self-employed or what have you and you don't have insurance in relation to that having an emergency fund of at least three months expenses or wages is seen as kind of like helping in terms of resilience i mean i should say that say that there's there's a bit I mean, research suggests that about forty percent of UK households, and this is before COVID, couldn't last three months without their main. Yeah, income. three months sounds like a lot, particularly in the even yeah. even before yeah, the yeah, COVID yeah. crisis, it sounds like a lot of money. Yeah. So there's the second the second thing is that people always talk about is never consider your, your education or training is finished. Always look at how how can you develop your skills, how can you make yourself keep yourself marketable, and and so on. You know, it's a human capital as it, as mm-hmm. it, as it were. And that's really important for people's kind of resilience. If something happens, can you, you know, can you re, can you pivot, as I said before, move yourself onto something slightly different using that range of skills that you've been, you've been developing. And again, you know, we have lots of challenges in relation to that. If you look at school budgets, you look at uh, universities, I mean, the universities are thinking they're taking about a 2.6 billion hit mm-hmm. as a result of coronavirus. 
So there's, there's, there's big issues around that. And then the, the kind of third thing you talk about is just people being financially aware. Do you know how to, you know, if money becomes really tight, can you, can you manage budgets uh, really well? If you need to save in order to create that resilience, do you know how to save, you know, how to manoeuvre your budget to create space for saving? And, and do you know where to put that money? So, you know, in terms of financial knowledge and awareness, I mean, I, I talk a lot to various people about, you know, financial education in schools and the need for, for more of, of that and the issues that, that, that have around that, preparing people for uh, managing money in adult life. And there's a lot being done about that. And for adults, there's a, there's a, uh, the government has a kind of a money advice service that I still don't think a lot of people know about, which is lots of useful information. So I think that those kind of three areas in relation to that have a lot to do in terms of uh, thinking about individuals and their resilience, uh, financial resilience. So yeah, the, the risk management resilience thing can be applied to individuals in various aspects of, of, of life. Not another area, not my expertise, but if we think about that in terms of mental health and well-being yeah. and resilience, now there's a big focus in on that. So resilience comes up in a, in a, in a lot of areas uh, now, Craig, and I, I, I think it's, it's going to be even talked about even more uh, subsequent to this this crisis. So given everything you've been saying, can people be their own risk managers? Actually, it's uh, uh, funny you should say that. One of the one of the uh, courses I, I, I talk about, I, I talk about the theory of the risk society. So from an academic viewpoint, we talk about we've moved from being a class society to a risk society and then all about how individuals manage risk. But even this kind of rise about kind of like individuals and, and, and the way that they, they, they manage risk. Some people from a political perspective might uh, draw your attention in the UK to Margaret Thatcher and there is no such thing as society and the rise of individualism in, in relation to that. So there's a lot of that sort of stuff going on and putting it very kind of briefly in a kind of straightforward way if you think about it compared to the past life offers us much more kind of choice and opportunity it's much more educational opportunities mm -hmm. for travel at least up until the pandemic lifestyles the nature of families and relationships even gender is all much more fluid we have much more 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 choice but but with that the cert the old certainties in life, like the welfare state, the nuclear family, the job for life, right? That each generation would have an increased standard of living, right? That your local community's there to support you. You know, all of that, even the wisdom of experts now, you know, it's kind of like it used to be that, you know, you're oh yeah, the rocket scientists will kind of trust them. Now it's kind of like Google Doctor. You're on that before you get in to see a GP and you get the list of things telling them what they're not thinking about, right? So all of these uncertainties now we're left to deal with as individuals. We've got all of these choices, but it kind of, in some sense, it seems to all come back to us. We've got to make these our own certainties now, our own kind of like life, life stories in relation to that. So yeah, in a real sense, we do have to manage all the risks that come along with that. If we don't make the right choice of education or coming in and out of work to mm -hmm. more education back to work, all of these great choices come come with risk. So yeah, in a real sense, we we you know you could argue now we we are our own risk managers and trying to create that that life for us now. Yeah, is that a good thing? 
it's a double-edged sword, isn't it? <laughs> it's a double-edged sword. I mean, you look at, well, let, let me give you a kind of parallel about this, and it kind of links in with that, right? Is the internet and social media a good thing, right? So on one hand, yeah, it absolutely is. But on the other hand, it's a kind of complete nightmare. And the reason I give you that example is because on the one hand, people create, if you like, their per, a persona. They are able to create themselves through social media. And on one end, that can be really great and empowering. But with that comes another whole set of risks that can lead people into all sorts of issues and kind of touches upon the kind of mental health thing I kind of talked about before for a lot of people. So it is that, that double-edged sword. We've got loads of opportunities. We're absolutely fantastic. But we've kind of got to be aware of the dangers that come, that come with that. So taking everything you've spoken about into consideration, what has the global pandemic taught us about like the NHS community, our sense of well-being, our sense of mental health? What has it taught us about these things? And rather than kind of like thinking of those particular in, individual issues such as mental health, if we, if we kind of get up to a kind of a, a more kind of macro level, if we look at the role of government in supporting in, individuals, I think this, this, what it's taught us is a bit something about our resilience as a, as, a, as a nation. There's been a huge level of government investment, right? Massive fiscal stimulus to get the economy to rebound, right? eat out to help out, and all of that, that kind of stuff, right? Why it sucks, and if we look at the need for all of this, we see a kind of like you know a situation where our social security system benefits as a percentage of earnings is the lowest of the OECD countries, and it's the lowest it's been since World War II. Food bank usage has increased 89% this year compared to last year. You've got the likes of the business secretary and the health secretary admitting that they couldn't live on saturated sick pay at £94.25. You've got an incredibly stretched NHS and social care budgets, even before we consider the kind of pandemic in relation to that. So I think what the pandemic in one sense has highlighted the lack of resilience of our nation, if you like, as is a, as a community in relation to that. And I think if you look at, at the polling, as a result of this has come out recently, you'll see that I don't know that the government wants to go back to the kind of austerity that we we had in, in the past. So, so getting back to the resilience thing and the readjustment that I talked about, that third thing, I said, you know, I don't know how we will readjust as a result of this. But I, I think that, that certainly for me, when you look at the uh, evidence and public opinion, people don't want to go back to the way it was before. And I think that's something for me that's come out of the, the, the pandemic. My final question, Patrick, how do we protect people if something like the coronavirus pandemic was to happen again? Right, well, I, th I think it comes back to what I was just talking about uh, uh, there, Craig. I think that we're not just individuals. You know, we're part of a kind of a, a society. And I think to protect individuals, we need to build up the community resilience, the support that individuals have in the, in the communities and in the nations in which they, they live. I mean, Boris Johnson, lots of politicians talk about building back better. And I think we need to do that. I think we need to reinvigorate our local institutions 
we've seen from the pandemic that a lot of the really good work is 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 not being done centrally but locally and, and, and we see even recently in the past few days about track and trace about pushing it out to local because that's where the best is best place to do that so i think we need to reinvigorate local institutions we need to reinvigorate uh, national institutions in terms of of, of how they support their uh, populace to to be more resilient I, I think as i said before it talks about we need to think about that at, at an international level as well and i think the thing about building back better boris johnson has talked about a kind of a new kind of like federal plan you know kind of in terms of reinvigorating the nation and if we're going to invest then one of the things and it, and it strikes me that this is even you know we're, we're talking about kind of something like this happens again one of the things that we need to do and i think there's a good example from from what's happened in the european uh, union is if we're going to build back better we need to think about the next potential big crisis and that that for me is global warming you know if you look mm -hmm. at that and the issues around about that so you, you talk about kind of like a green investment agenda you know the, the, in europe they talked about the european green deal investment plan i think if we're going to think about constructive things we can do in investing going forward, then I think we need to think about that investing in a greener economy. And with that, the skills that that's needed, the jobs that will be needed, given the, the state we're in at the moment, the jobs that will be needed, the reskilling and so on. I think that's something that we can start doing now to, to if you like, build back better. Patrick, that was absolutely fantastic. I really learned a lot from talking to you, so thank you very much for your time. Really appreciate it. That's no problem, Craig. Nice speaking with you. I'd also like to thank everyone for listening to today's episode, and I hope you join us again soon when we'll be talking to another member of staff from Glasgow Caledonian University. In the meantime, please subscribe to this podcast via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to us from, and make sure you give us a five-star rating while you're at it. Until then, I've been Craig Telfer and this has been the Common Good Podcast.